uh, I'm Jack, if we haven't met yet. Uh, howdy. I don't usually talk like that. Um, but we're thrilled to have you here, and as, uh, as I was praying, just we, we want every week that we gather uh, to worship, uh, not just for this hour 15 that we're together uh, as we look into God's word, as we worship through song, but really to kind of fuel you up to go live your life as worship. And so whether uh, you've been walking with Jesus for a little while, or you've been walking with him for a long time, or maybe you just came because someone offered you dinner afterwards, and that's awesome, I'd love to go. Um, But I think tonight is, in the next few weeks, just something that I think might be really helpful for you. And so as we look into this series called Emotion Pictures, and I just wanna welcome, actually a couple quick things. I wanna welcome our students back who are at camp. We had middle school camp, high school camp. They had a great, great experience. And uh, also it just invites you to be praying for our worship team as they head out to lead a student camp uh, up in Prescott uh, this week. You'll be praying for them and uh, we'll partner together in doing that. So uh, in this Emotion Picture series, how many of you have seen the movie Inside Out? Anyone thought, okay, I have cartoon characters in my head. Okay, Uh, you don't, you may feel like that at times, but uh, Inside Out is this movie. If you haven't seen it, I really wanna invite you to uh, to maybe watch it this week because really what we're unpacking these next few weeks is not the movie, although you'll see some clips from that. This is kind of our At The Movies series here in July. Uh, But we are looking for this idea of how does emotions play a role in our life and then how do we navigate emotions correctly and in a healthy way? What does the scripture have to say? What does God have to say about that? Because he kind of made us. And so here's I want to start off with. How many of you, if you're, if you're bold enough, uh, you would describe yourself as an emotional person? Okay, that's you, right? Uh, my kids have a running joke in our household uh, that any show we watch, they notice at one point when the music starts playing, Uh, how long till dad cries? And so it's just this running joke. I try really hard not to at times. In fact, I'll watch things secretly two or three times before they get home just to prepare myself. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. It just, maybe you describe yourself as an emotional person. You're just emotionally engaged. Some people would say that you wear your emotions on your sleeves. Okay, you've heard that too. Uh, Maybe people would describe you that way. And for some of you, you may even wear that as a badge of honor. Like, oh, I'm emotional. I can't help but y'all, you cold-hearted people. Just, you know, because I've found myself saying that after I find myself being criticized by my kids, and I'm like, oh, just, you guys have a heart of stone. No, just, just, anyway. But maybe, how many of you would describe yourself as, okay, maybe not all that emotional, uh, not that you're an engineer, I'm not saying that, but it's just like, you're, you're not maybe all that emotional, you would describe yourself maybe that way. Uh, you would say, okay, you know, it's just, I'm more stoic. Okay, maybe that's how you're wired. Maybe in, for a lot of you, that, that's just something that's not so much a part of who you are and how you're wired and how you navigate life. And we can fall into either one of those camps and neither one is bad and neither one is good. It's just how you're wired and who you are. Here's the truth though. Whether you describe yourself as emotional or you describe yourself as kind of unemotional or more stoic in nature, here's the truth. You have emotions. Like, pinch yourself right now, okay? Really hard. You might find yourself being annoyed. See, you have emotions. Maybe you were like, I'm not gonna do that, preacher dude. I'm like, that's weird. Okay, you had emotion, okay? You have emotions in you. And emotions are a part of life. It's okay to recognize that. I love what Brene Brown, who's an author and speaker, she writes this about humanity. She says, 
We're not thinking beings who sometimes feel. We're emotional beings who sometimes think. Now, you could agree or disagree with that, but it's an interesting concept. It's an interesting thought to begin thinking about this idea of emotion. See, we live in a world that, in one hand, treats emotions as a bad thing. Sometimes it's celebrated, but sometimes it's really meant to be squashed, and, and people think, well, you've got to be rational. You've got to think with your rational mind, and, and this is what's triumph and what's praised in our culture, and the, the truth is it, it, you need both because that's how God made you. So whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, God created you, and he created you with emotions, and emotions play a role. In fact, one of the the key um, chapters in the Bible that we wanna kinda weave throughout this whole series, and we actually have our e-kids going through curriculum that Sarah has written for them, all about our emotions. Our students are gonna be looking at that on Wednesday, so it's kinda something we're doing for the whole church, Uh, and your e-group is welcome to participate in that. It's this idea of saying, hey, emotions are a part of life. How do we begin to navigate and understand them? Psalm 139. How many of you are familiar with Psalm 139? Psalm 139 is, I think, one of my favorite psalms, uh, although there's 150 and I like 149 of them. Um, But Psalm 139 is one that's really, really good and it helps us understand who we are and how God has created this, that he is dialed in. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth, but friend, he's creator of you and he understands you. This is what the verses, uh, some of the early verses say. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You're familiar with all my ways. You've created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, for some of you, we grow up and we forget that last part and we think because of the things or choices we made or things that have happened to us, uh, we don't see ourselves that way. But the truth is God made you and you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You may have made some choices or made some uh, decisions or had someone make choices and and faced consequences for you that you never wished. And I wish that wasn't so. But friend, no matter where you are, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And the creator of the heavens and the earth is dialed into your life. He's not distant, he's not distracted. He actually understands what's going on. And he created you in his image. You are not him, I am not him. There is only one Jesus, there's only one God. We are made in his image which means we have rational thought, but we also have emotions. Does God have emotions? Well, yeah, you look through the scriptures, and I, I put some in version. If you're following along on version, you can see all the different scriptures, passages in there where, where God feels, and it talks about it. Uh, do we see Jesus who feels in things? In fact, one of the, I don't hardly ever recommend books to read, but one of the ones I really wanna recommend, if you're interested in looking at yourself, and understanding your own emotional journey and where you are is Peter Scazzaro wrote Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And he he writes in here uh, some interesting thoughts, some challenging thoughts. He says, you cannot grow to be spiritually mature if you remain emotionally immature. That emotional maturity and spiritual maturity are not the same thing, but they are each other's ceilings. Meaning, if I want to grow to spiritual maturity, and yet I remain emotionally immature. I'm stuck, I've hit a ceiling where I can't go unless I let God work on my own emotional immaturity or some sticking points or hangups that I have. 
And there's this fascinating journey that goes. And so we just invite you, maybe this is a book you wanna investigate for yourself. Our, our emotions are a part of our life. And all throughout the, the, the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see expression of God saying these are emotions that he has. We see that in the life of Jesus. The shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty five. 35, what? Jesus wept, okay? Well, why does the Bible include that if emotions don't matter, if emotions aren't important, uh, if emotions aren't a part of how we live our life? Why does the scripture include helping us understand Jesus' emotions? If it helps put it on display, if it's not something that's important for us. Daniel Goldman uh, wrote a book called Emotional Intelligence. And in there, a lot of research and study that talks about this idea of that your EQ, your emotional quotient of how you can relate and understand your own emotions and the emotions of the moment of which you're in with people, that your EQ often has a greater impact on your job satisfaction and your family satisfaction than your IQ, than things that maybe even in your intelligent quotient. And so there's this interplay as you read about this role of emotions. God feels. Augustine wrote uh, in 400 AD, how can we draw close to God when you are far from your own self? Grant me, Lord, that I might know myself, that I might know thee. There's something about understanding how we're wired, how we think, how we react, how we interact, that allows us to grow in our relationship with God, and if we don't ever get there, it can hinder that, it, it can hold it back, it can slow it down. There's this great challenge of beginning to understand, here's the truth, our emotions are indicators of what's happening inside of us. It's kind of like anyone ever driven your car and one of the dashboard lights comes on, right? And in that moment, what can you do? Ignore it, right? That's one option. Uh, you can just, pff, I don't see that. That's not there. Um, it's kidding. Uh, or you can address it. You can deal with it, right? Our emotions are indicators in a way to what's going on in the moment. One of the greatest lessons, maybe the greatest, greatest gifts that my mom gave me uh, was what she called uh, the chair and maybe you've heard me say this before, but uh, I didn't really like the chair. It was a chair, but it was a chair after I had done something that my mom would say, hey, I want you to go sit in the chair and then you can get down when you tell me why you did what you did. And I was like, all right, I'll go sit in the chair. I made up excuses of like why I would do it. And then I would go back to her and she would say, no, that's not why. More time in the chair. And I'm like, man, I hate the chair. Um, and then I would sit there and I would have these ongoing conversations where I'm winning, but my mom wasn't present. Um, and so then I would go and have the conversation with her and I would try to come up with other excuses until finally I would just admit why I did what I did and I would just say, well, I was angry. That's why I did that. Okay, you can go play. Oh, that's it? Like that's all I had to do? And I hated it in the moment. But here's what that lesson taught me. Not that we did it every day, but over time, over years, I can tell you why I do what I do. And that's one of the greatest gifts you can give to yourself, is to understand why, what's motivating, the good, the bad, and the ugly, 
to understand where that is because that is the moment that you can bring that before people and you can bring that before your creator, before God and say, God, man, I'm, my conversation, my mind is going this way and it's because I feel this way. And you know the beauty of the Psalms over and over is David pours out his heart to God. Was David perfect? <laughs> no. But David's called a man after God's own heart because David was real. He was real with his creator. He was real with God. And in those moments, God can meet him. And then we can begin to address some of those hangups or those holdups in life. Uh, Peter writes in his book, he says, the journey of genuine transformation to emotional, healthy spirituality begins with a commitment to allow yourself to feel and to recognize that. And so tonight and throughout the rest of this series, we wanna look through different emotions that we see expressed in this movie. And tonight I wanna look at the emotion of joy. And joy is kind of the main character of this whole movie. In fact, she dominates the early scenes of this whole movie and this idea of what is joy. And joy has this way, this capacity to pull you forward into something that otherwise you might remain stuck in. And that's kind of this pattern that you see all throughout the movie, is joy is continually pushing to go forward. So what makes you feel happiness or, or feel joy? Uh, bacon, anyone? Yeah, okay, I thought so. A few of my friends here. Um, maybe as married guys, do you remember the moment that you proposed and she said yes? There's that moment, uh, we were over in California and I remember Coronado Island and the only cool thing I've ever done in my life was propose to my wife in like a 24 hour crazy trip that I flew over to Coronado Island, proposed on the beach, we spent the whole day, flew back at midnight and just all that kind of stuff and I've, I shouldn't have started with that because I've really just ruined myself, um, but I can't outdo that. Uh, but it was, we were over in that moment and watching them walk around and I remember, I remember that moment 22 years ago and being able to say, man, that was just one of the best moments of my life. M maybe you think back to um, your baptism. Maybe coming up out of the water in your baptism and you just remember that moment of saying, you know what, I've said yes to Jesus and now I'm letting other people celebrate that with me and that that was just a moment between you and God and you and your friends and family and it just sealed something for you. Yeah, we have another baptism coming up July 23rd and if you've never considered that, never thought about that, I'd love to process with you or talk to Brian, talk to one of us, your small group leader, of what does it mean to follow Jesus in baptism? Um, what is this idea of, uh, of following after him? Maybe you remember your graduation day. Maybe you remember your first real job and the first day on the job and the joy you had of like, hey, I'm actually gonna get a paycheck where they take a lot of my money for taxes. But maybe you spent time with family or friends recently or maybe this summer you, had, you were traveling and you just got to spend a day or a moment or a few hours with people and it just warmed your heart and it just brought this joy to life. Maybe you remember as a mom holding your firstborn and just the joy that was in your heart. See, joy has a way of filling us with a hope and pulling us forward in life and it's this amazing uh, reality that we see in scripture that joy is such a huge theme throughout the scriptures. There's a, 
a debate between happiness and joy. There's a difference, and we'll talk about that, but I just want you to see a clip from this movie uh, as we see joy kind of taking a moment and issues arise, and yet joy is trying to pull them forward to something better, and that's this joy, this hope that can be unleashed in our life, so we'll watch this together. It's a great movie. You want to watch the rest, don't you? Okay. Um, <clears throat> but joy has this power about her. Of, of trying to pull you forward into something better. And even when the circumstances are kind of unfolding around and they're, they're not the best, joy has a way of kind of moving you through to something better, to something that lies out ahead. That's why joy is actually greater than happiness. We have a, a world, in, in our country in particular, where we're almost, well, ingrained to the life, liberty, and pursuit of Happiness. The problem is, happiness has a shelf life to it. Happiness can spoil. Because happiness is based so much on our circumstances. That's why it's easy to be really happy when things are going really well. But when things are struggling and things are kind of backing up in your life and and it's really hard to make yourself happy. Because happiness is contingent on your circumstances being something that can produce happiness. But joy has this way of kind of anchoring deep within your heart to to pull you to a deeper reality than just circumstances. Joy isn't limited to your circumstances. You can kind of feel that in this clip right there. But this idea of of joy kind of leads me uh, to the to the truth that Peter is getting at. In 1 Peter chapter one, he talks about this. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, this is what you have in God's great mercy. He has caused you to be born again into this living hope. Not a temporary hope, not a a so-so hope, not a dead hope, but a living hope. This living hope, because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and now we have this hope for the blessings that God has for his kids. Each kid, each kid gets it. These blessings which cannot be destroyed or spoil or lose their beauty are kept in heaven for you. Maybe in some of your versions it talks about it can't spoil or fade. That this hope that can be within us is this challenge of what does it mean to be a person who lives with joy? It means you've got to differentiate between this idea of happiness. Happiness is okay. It's just not strong enough like joy is. Joy is much, much stronger. And it's not bent and determined by just your circumstances. It's not depending on that. Happiness is circumstantial, but joy is positional. It's who you are in Christ. That's where you can have permanent joy. That's when you can have a joy that permeates your life no matter what the landscape of your life might be in that particular moment or that particular season. In fact, joy is a command in the scriptures. Remember what Paul writes in Philippians chapter four? Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Anyone remember where he is when he writes this? In prison. Locked up to a Roman soldier next to him 24-7. That's crazy. See, if we only thought about happiness, we would look at Paul and go, there's no way you could be happy there, in that, in this season. But Paul's saying, I have this 
I have this joy that no matter the circumstances that are unfolding around me, it's this deep anchor in my, in my very soul, deep within my spirit, because I have this joy that comes from the Lord. I can rejoice. This joy is available. See, the practice of celebration, which I wanna get at at the end of tonight, I think is key for followers of Christ, particularly in this generation. The practice of celebration. What does it look like to be a person who practices the habit of celebration in order to let joy become more and more an anchor of who they are? See, happiness is generic. It's a White Castle hamburger. But joy, joy is gourmet. It's Zinburger, it's Lindy's. It's just way better. It's way better. Happiness is a human emotion. It's fleeting. It sticks around as long as the circumstances allow. But joy is a divine reality that can be yours no matter what. It's yours. It's yours for the taking. The Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's not a weakness. In fact, in Nehemiah chapter eight, you can read it later, Nehemiah and Ezra, Ezra le- reads from the law uh, of Moses before the people, they've been building back up Jerusalem, it's been in total disarray, they've worked really hard to get it built back up, and the people hear Ezra and le- read from the scriptures, and they're undone and they're grieving because it's been years since they've done it, and they realize how far off a kilter they are, and Nehemiah stops them from crying. He says, look, you're being too emotional in this moment, stop it. Here's the deal. This is a day that's holy. Stop your grieving. You're to rejoice today. In fact, you go out and eat choice food, it says. You go to Lindy's. You go to Zinberger. You take some to friends who don't have any. And today is the day where you will go and rejoice because the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's what can meet you in those moments where you're struggling to realize that it's not about happiness. It's not about trying to get your circumstances in the right way. So for some of you, you've had your circumstances changed upside down, and there isn't any part of you to go, well, this is happy. It's not, but you could still have joy, and you can choose joy, and joy can become more and more an anchor in your life. Jesus talks about this in John 15. Here's what he says. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Jesus has loved you like God has loved Jesus. Now remain in my love, he says. I have told you this, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. Listen, if you try to find joy in your circumstances, in the things that you can create, in the things that you can achieve, in the things that you can acquire, friend, I'm telling you, your joy will be incomplete because Jesus says it will. I've told you this, remain in me, because in me, you can have my joy, and my joy will make your joy complete. It will bring completeness to you. Jesus is saying, look, it's not about how full your bank account is, how many fancy vacations you go on. It's not about finishing an accomplishment. It can't be found in something other than Jesus himself. Jesus is the source of joy that we can continually draw from. It's available to us from Christ. Now, if you're a follower of Christ, then that's great news. If you're not, then, then maybe that's something to awaken yourself to, because maybe you've spent your whole life pursuing happiness, and you keep wondering why it's so evasive, and you keep wondering why it just evaporates so fast in the seasons of your life, because you're settling for something called happiness, and the pursuit of that 
instead of pursuing something bigger and something deeper and something that can actually hold you. C.S. Lewis writes this, joy is the serious business of heaven. Here's a question. Look around our Christian culture today. You can include yourself in it. Are we in the business of the heaven's business? Are we in heaven's business very much? Because I look around our culture and I go, okay, if joy is the serious business of heaven, uh, I see a lot of myself and a lot of Christianity who isn't majoring in joy. In fact, I see a lot of Christians who are grumpy and they wear grumpiness like it's a spiritual gift, but here's the deal. I've never seen that in any of the three lists that you see about spiritual gifts in the Bible. Grumpiness is not a spiritual gift. Think about how much damage has been done to the name and the cause of Christ because of grumpy Christ followers. When we're called to be people of joy, people of good news, people of hope, does that mean we always have a smile, we never have sadness? No, because we're gonna talk about that next week. It's this idea that joy can permeate who I am and where I am that, we can get better at this. For some of you, you may need a joy mentor. You may need to find someone that you have been around who is just positive, like they're just joyous people, and maybe you need to actually spend more time around them. For some of you, if you find yourself in a season where you're really struggling with joy, then what would it look like to begin to practice this practice of celebration, to invest more joy into your life? What would it look like to be around people who have joy and spend time and and let them teach you some habits of how you can tap into God's joy? Uh, Robert Hughes writes this, we live in an age of melancholy and in a culture of complaint. That's what I see. I, I think we'd all agree that that's what we see on display so much around our heart and around our world and around our life and our circumstances. And the, tr- the truth is you can get stuck into the tractor beam of the culture of complaint and we can spend our whole life complaining. What do we have to complain about if you really stop to think about it? Jesus did everything for us. For most of us in this room, we have more than three-fourths of the world. And yet, I find myself getting caught up in the tractor beam of the culture of complaint. Can you believe, I can't believe I got a flat tire. Oh, you know, I can't believe whatever these things might be. You fill in the blank. And we can get stuck there. And the reality is the scripture keeps coming back. There's this great theme all throughout the scripture, the Old Testament and New Testament, this permeating presence of joy. Even the psalmist writes about it in Psalm 43. Why so downcast, O my soul? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my savior and my God. It's, it's our hope has a way of going into our circumstances, and listen, that's where happiness is. And so when circumstances change, or drift, or evaporate, or, or shift, then your hope kinda gets tied up in that instead of saying, no, my hope is in Christ, and everything that he's given for me. That's why we have to choose joy. John Ortberg writes these words, he said, if you don't rejoice today, you will not rejoice at all. If we wait until conditions are perfect, you will never stop waiting. We all live with this illusion that joy will come someday when conditions change, when we go to school and think that we'll be happy when we graduate. 
that we're single and, and just convinced that we'll be happy once we meet the right someone. We get married and decide that we'll be happy someday when we have children. We have children and decide I'll be happier when they're gone and leave the nest. And then they do. And then we're happier when they were back with us. See, if we're going to rejoice, we must do it in this day. Here's what the scripture says. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. See, part of joy is choosing it. It's not waiting for joy to come to you. It's this idea of fostering joy within your own heart and within your own relationship with him. It's this practice of celebration. In fact, here's what I'd like to do. Um, Romans 12, 15 is a verse I use a lot in uh, relationship coaching, uh, counseling sessions, and marriage counseling sessions. Uh, Romans 12, 15, I think, is one of the most practical verses in all the Bible. And, And I think if your relationships would just practice this verse, it would do wonders for your friendships, for your parent-child relationships, for uh, your marriage relationship, for your dating relationships, if you just practice this verse. And here's what it says. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Meaning when someone has something that's fantastic happening in their life, that you stop thinking about yourself, whoa, and you actually are in the moment with them, and you rejoice with them. I'm so glad you got that experience. Man, I think that's awesome that you had that opportunity, and it sounds like it just blessed your socks off, and maybe you wouldn't talk like that, but you would, it just sounds like it was just something that lit up your life. Tell me more about it. That's what it means to rejoice. You're in the moment. You're not thinking about yourself. Okay, you had that happen? Well, two years ago, I had this happen. It was way better than that. Um, Because that's what we typically do, right? We try to one-up instead of just being in the moment and rejoicing with those who rejoice. That you begin to practice that. Uh, What does it look like to be a person who practices celebration? Here's what I want to get really practical this week. There's some things in this list I'm going to give you. I put it in U version. I'll go through it here. But I want you to pick one of these, and I just want you to practice it this week, okay? So this practice of celebration, how do we get this habit into our life? Celebrate with family and friends with a toast. Now, anyone ever had to do a toast at a wedding? Okay? That's about the only place we see toast anymore. And so about 10 years ago, uh, I decided that our family was just going to toast stuff randomly. And so at dinner tables, whether we're out or whether we're at home, uh, occasionally I will raise my glass and I will force my family to do the same thing. And if we're out, people are like, oh, it's just barely off the table. Um, and there's, there's reluctance to this, but I don't care because I'm the dad, I'm in charge. Uh, so. I just say, we're gonna toast, and, and maybe it's a birthday, and we'll toast a particular person that this is their birthday, and we just wanna brag on them. Because that's what you see at weddings, right? Is the, the best man or the, the maid of honor gets up and they toast, they just wanna talk about, and there's some people that like, take the toast way too far, and they talk like 20 minutes? That's not good. Okay, so this is like a simple toast, okay? This is, hey, I'm proud of you because. I'm honored that, that you're my daughter, that you're my son. 
You matter to me. I'm so thrilled that you said yes on that beach that day. I can't believe you did. I don't know if I would have. I just, I, I can't believe it. I, I just won the lottery. And so maybe in those moments, you figure out what that is and you just do a simple toast. So somewhere this week, practice a toast. The second thing, how do you get this practice of celebration? Celebrate with a thank you note or a text this week to somebody. Somewhere this week, write an actual thank you. I don't know if you guys know, but there's pens and there's paper. And on this paper that says thank you on it, it's amazing. You can actually write a note to people and they get it. You have to use a stamp. I don't know if you don't know what a stamp is, uh, talk to your, uh, your parents. Um, but there's this opportunity where you can take a moment and just write a note to someone that's done something meaningful or done something in your life that means something to you and just thank them or send them a text if that's easier, if you don't have stamps. Do that. Celebrate verbally with someone. Practice this first part of Romans 12:15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Meaning as someone's sharing something that's exciting that's happened to them, just begin to ask questions about it. That's so awesome that that happened. I wanna hear more about it. And you just listen. Stop thinking about what you wanna think about. Just be with them and rejoice in that moment. Maybe you wanna celebrate with kind of a spiritual pause. Somewhere this week, maybe you wanna pull out a journal and you wanna say, God, I'm gonna take 10 minutes out of my busy life and I just want to, I wanna toast you. I want you to, to know that in these 10 minutes, I'm gonna list all these ways that I feel you have been active in my life before or that you're active now. I just want you to know how grateful I am that you are a God who's running a whole universe and yet you know the number of hairs on my head. You're dialed into me. I am fearfully and wonderfully made and you know me and that you take a moment to journal that. Maybe last week, uh, that you celebrate soaking up a moment of joy by just doing something that you love to do. How many of you love ice cream? Okay, uh, how many of you love like Bahama Bucks? There's, I haven't been there yet, but I heard it's really good. Um, maybe you this week, because it's been so hot. Oh, listen, you need Jesus, don't go to hell, okay? Um, <clears throat> but maybe you just wanna go grab ice cream this week with a friend or just with yourself, and you say, I'm just gonna enjoy ice cream for 10 minutes. I'm just gonna enjoy ice cream. In fact, I'm gonna enjoy ice cream a second time around. Uh, just whatever you want to do. Maybe you have a hobby that you love to do. Go do that this week. And in that moment, as you're experiencing joy in that minute, then take a second and say, God, thank you for making me a creation that can enjoy the things that you've created because that's part of this practice of celebration. I wanna encourage you strongly to make the practice of celebration a rhythm and a part of your life because all throughout the scriptures we realize that this joy is an amazing thing and if joy is this anchor that can be in our heart no matter what circumstances are going on around us that we don't have to settle for happiness because happiness has a shelf life but I can lean into joy and I can lean into the joy that Christ said you will have my joy, and then your joy will be complete if you look for it in me. If you'll enjoy uh, the opportunities I've given you, if you live with a grateful heart, if you'll practice this celebration, it will foster joy within you. And friends, I believe that the world in which we live is, is desperate to see Christians living with joy, not in a culture of complaint. 
And so let God begin to dwell joy and build it more and more in your heart. We're gonna take a minute and move on with communion and then close with a song. Brian will close us in a minute. Um, but as we do that, we, we lean into the joy of what communion is. We remember that this is, is the expression of Jesus, that his life, his death, his resurrection created a way for us to even have life with God, for us to have relationship with him. And so we do communion around here for some of you who are new. Uh, we just kind of self-serve that. We've got a couple tables here in the center, a couple down front. If you need gluten-free crackers, they're down here to my left, your right. And uh, we're gonna take a moment and just music's gonna play a little bit, have an opportunity for you just to take a moment to remember that Jesus loves you. He really, really loves you. And not only does he say it, he proved it. And in his life and in his death and his resurrection, he made a way for you to have life with him as you trust and faith in him. And he wants you to be a person that experiences more and more joy. You'll have sad days. We'll talk about that next week. But this idea of joy can really become a, a, an emotion that begins to permeate more and more of how you live. And so Father, we wanna lift up these next few moments to you. We thank you that you're a God who feels, and that you created us to feel. Whether we're on the spectrum of, of toward emotional beings or more stoic in nature, God, we each have emotions. And you want us to mature in how we navigate and handle those because you want us to mature spiritually in how we live life and navigate life with you. So in these moments here, as we worship you through communion, as we worship you in song and begin to close out our night, we ask that you'd speak into our lives. God, maybe there's one practice of celebration that we need to, to kind of latch onto or hold onto and, and activate this week. Would you show us what that is? Would you help us to become people? Would you help your church, not just elements, but your church in our culture and in our world begin to be seen as people of good news? people of joy, who have a hope that pulls them forward in every single moment. God, our world is messed up, but we can have joy even in the midst because you're in the midst, and our joy comes from you. It's anchored in you, Jesus. And so we remember, in communion, we remember in worship, your delight and joy in us, and that in you, our joy can be complete.